Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Today's sermon text is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 through 22. This text reveals our sinfulness, and it shines Christ's light on our path so that we know exactly how to escape from our sin. Paul tells us that the sins of our Old Testament ancestors were recorded in Scripture as examples so that we might not desire evil as they did. He's referring to the Israelites, isn't he? This reading helps us understand why we ought not desire evil. Now, why do we even need this sort of instruction? Well, because evil is precisely what we want to do, isn't it? If it weren't, there would be no reason for Jesus' incarnation. He came because we are bent in towards sin. Evil is what we desire. We cannot desire good without his Holy Spirit. God be praised that Jesus bore our sins and suffered for our trespasses and that he and his Father sent you the Holy Spirit to work good in you. God is faithful. Because of Christ's cross, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Now hang on to that truth, friends. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Christ is the escape for every temptation. He was sacrificed, not for extraordinary temptations, but for common temptations. There are no extraordinary temptations. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. All of man's temptations have been dealt with upon Christ's cross. That's what Paul is helping us remember in this pericope. He states from the beginning that the events in the Bible were preserved so that we wouldn't desire evil. And then he lists some examples of the evil we shouldn't desire and the corresponding biblical accounts that aid us in living in the grace-filled waters of baptism daily by showing us how real sin is and how real God is. What sins does he list? Well, first, Paul lists the breaking of the first commandment, doesn't he? Idolatry, which involves eating, drinking, and playing, he says. What do you suppose is the connection between idolatry and eating, drinking, and playing? These are the activities involved in the most ordinary, common forms of idolatry. The idolatry that exposes our hearts, that reveals just how little Christ actually means to us as sinners. So we all have many idols, and most of them are the false gods of our bellies and the leisure activities that dominate our daily lives. 
Has there ever been a people as guilty as us regarding the idolatry of self? How true is this text for our affluent society? We eat and drink and play with idolatrous spectacle. What comes first? God or your lifestyle? God or your creature comforts? God or sleeping in? God or your hobbies, activities, downtime, rest, brunch, good times with friends, eating, drinking, and playing. The ordinary things that keep us from church, from truly putting God before everything else, the ordinary things that bump God's word out of our minds, out of our mouths, away from our eyes, out of our ears, out of our hearts, These are the ordinary idolatries that we commit on a regular basis. Who comes first? God or you? This first sin on Paul's list runs through all the others. It's his focus. People are sexually immoral, that's next, because we're idolaters. We put Christ to the test because we're idolaters. We grumble against God's word because, (laughs) you guessed it, we're idolaters. Huh. You notice that? Idolaters. Hmm. We take what is good and holy, God's word, both law and the gospel, and we despise it because it isn't our way. It's God's way. Because we would rather be our own God rather than submit to the real God. Do what we want to do. Live how we want to live. Instead of submit to how God would have us live according to God's word. And this is precisely why Jesus took on flesh to dwell among us. He serves us who in idolatry desire evil and don't want to serve him. This is why he continues to serve us in his divine service, because upon us has the end of ages come, as our text says. The great tribulation is full of temptation to sin. These latter days are truly evil. My friends, Christ Jesus is your Savior. He is your escape from temptation. And his spirit inspired Paul to write down just how his crucifixion is your real and ready means of escape from sin. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, Flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, Paul says. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many 
are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, which, as you know, Paul just talked about as examples for us Christians. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants of the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. Dear saints, members of St. Mark, all listeners here this morning, there this morning, wish I was with you. Do you see the connection between the right worship of God through the eating and drinking of Christ's body and blood and the bread and wine of communion and the demonic copy of it that we're tempted to participate in when the idolatry of eating, drinking, and playing comes before worshiping God? Our everyday idolatry is pagan worship. Of course it is. Whenever the events of our daily lives bump God from the center of our activities, we're living like the unbelieving pagans all around us. What's at the center of your non-Christian neighbor's life? Sitting down to eat and drink and rising up to play. This is the core of their entire being. This is the sum of their life. This is why they go to work, so they can go to play, so they can eat, so they can drink and have a good time. What's at the center of your Christian life? Eating and drinking. Christ's body and blood given and shed on the cross for your sins, communing with God, and then rising up, not to play, but to delight in the joy of serving your neighbors with your good works, that they may know Christ. What's the escape from temptation to sin? Christ's cross. Where do we receive the work Christ put in? to make his cross our escape from sin, his altar. This is why Paul tells us to flee idolatry and then immediately describes what we receive in the cup of blessing that we bless at the Lord's altar. It is the very place to which we are to flee. You've heard me say it several times recently. It's been on my mind, and it's appropriate to repeat it again today. The life of the Christian is not an ideology, easy for me to say, void of real activity. It's not just an ideology. It's a real way of life with physical activities carried out in our daily lives. Repentance is not a concept, a philosophy of turning from your sins, some intellectual or imaginative consideration, but the very real fleeing from idolatry, not just in mind or heart, but in the physical world where your repentant mind and heart literally move your feet step by step until they reach the geographic location where Jesus has promised to sustain you with his true presence, to the place where the Holy Spirit gathers you and has gathered the rest of Christ's people with you around his word and sacrament so that we're all able to endure as his disciples despite 
temptation to sin. Paul listed historical events that happened among the Israelites. These are real historical events. Real Israelite people were guilty of idolatry, sitting down to eat and drink and rising up to play. Real Israelite people were guilty of sexual immorality, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Numbers 25 tells us all about it. Go take a look at it. Have a read of it. Real people put Christ to the test and were destroyed by serpents. Numbers 21, look at that one next. And real people grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. Numbers 14, number the people who sin against God. What are they? Real people. And so our escape from temptation to sin is a real escape. It's not theoretical. It's not philosophical. It's not conceptual. It's real. The cross was a real death device employed by the real Roman government in the first century, and Jesus of Nazareth was really crucified upon it as our real substitute under the real God's real law to carry out real justice for you and for me, for all of us. And he gives us a real place to come, a real escape from temptation. That's why this building was built by our ancestors in the faith, real believers who understood God's word deals with each of us as we are, human beings who are not only spiritual, but also physical and so in need of participating in something that serves both our spiritual and physical beings so that we can partake of the escape Christ has prepared for us and endure in the real God who is stronger than we are. I wish I was physically in your midst this morning so that you could go from hearing my words to partaking in your real escape in Christ's body and blood at the altar. Alas, (laughs) I am present with you today only in spirit. How much more enthusiastically, I suppose, we will partake of the table of the Lord next Sunday. God is faithful. He has given us examples in Scripture so that we would not desire evil but flee idolatry. Because of Christ's cross, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. He has provided it, that you may be able to endure. It's the cross given to you through his word and sacrament. This is most certainly true. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.